Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here and having this time to fellowship and to study and to be led by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the different offerings we have here at the camp meeting, the different seminars and speakers, and just the spiritual fellowship. And now, Lord, we pray that you would be with us in this class time. Lord, we want to be those laborers that you need, the laborers that there are so few of. And I pray that you would help us to fill that position by your grace. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now if you look at your schedule, it says topical overview, which is not something I think we've done before. And actually, I was looking for my brother Jim because we... Let me, let me look at this again. Oh, it does say MH, doesn't it? It was going to be a little bit of both of us, but um, I guess... We had toyed back and forth with that. One of the reasons that I decided to do this is in the BibleStudyOffer.com, you see two different studies you can use. Okay? Now, this is one of the challenges when you're doing Bible studies. When you're, let me rephrase this. When you're coordinating Bible studies, and we'll talk about this later this week. Before we do outreach, we're going to have a segment of, of class on how to organize outreach. Because our desire is that you won't just go from here and get a study, but you will become proactive in your church and having regular outreach in your church so other people get involved in studies. So we're going to talk about how to put that together. But one of the things you need to do when you organize an outreach is you've got to decide a lot of things for your group. And what I mean by that is, when I first started out in ministry, I really didn't want to be bossy and tell people what to do and study guides. I didn't want to, and these two guys were church members of mine, they're like, that changed. But at any rate, but I, when we do outreach, I'd be like, well, you can use this study, you can use this study, you can use this study. And what I learned is when people are just learning to do stuff, that's the last thing they want is having to make another decision. It's like, look, just give us a place to, some direction. Now, there are other people that are like, don't tell me what to use. Hey, use what you want. But I'm going to recommend something, and that's what we're doing with the conference. They've got two different studies that uh, we have decided on for this BibleStudyOffer.com. The Landmarks of Prophecy, because they... Um, one thing that Pastor Bachelor has done well is he's always keyed his, his studies to a video presentation series. And so what happens is um, there are people who are intimidated with the idea of giving a study but they have no problem with Pastor Doug giving the study. And I remember a church member I had in Hastings, Michigan, who swore up and down she could not give Bible studies. But here's what she did. At the time, it was the Net 99 Prophecy Series by Doug Batzer and the Historicals of Prophecy that go with that lesson. And she would, she, what she would do is this. Now, how many of you have ever sent out mailing cards um, like Bible study offer type of cards that people send, they get back to your church and then you go and give them a Bible study. Um, or you follow up with them and, you know, sometimes it ends up being like a cor correspondence study that you will mail out on a regular basis. But usually when we do that, we'll have, there are ministries that will send out cards to a certain zip code or area and you can pay them to do that. And then they'll get the information back to you and you can have people in your church go out and follow up on those cards. And what you get a lot of times is people saying, oh, I thought these were going to come through the mail. That's one thing that when we do the BibleStudyOffer.com, uh, um, what I want to call it, it's, good to call it, it's not a promo, but whatever, when we, when we kick off the BibleStudyOffer.com, it's going to be very clear that these are not going to be by mail studies. Not that you can't do it that way. But a lot of, you know, that's what a lot of people worry about. Well, I'm going to follow up and they're going to say, I thought it was by mail. There's nothing on it that's going to tell them they're going to get it by mail. It's going to be, you're going to have three options. It's going to be in person or it's going to be in a small group. And there's another one. I don't remember what it is. And my brother Jim could tell you if he was here. So, oh, it's right here on the card. Group, you've got group study. You've got one-on-one -on -one study. And the, the, the landmarks of prophecy is geared to the group study. You have a small group come over to your home. You pop in the DVD. Pastor Doug does preaching. Or you do a personal study, and notice, receive two presentations with study guides per week. And how are they going to receive them? You're going to take them. That's how it's going to work. Yes? Well, 
I, I'm not sure just yet. I know for here in Michigan, there's going to be, that we are going to have codes for the different churches that will go with different cards. So, for example, if you, well, I guess I kind of do know. If, 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 for example, if your church wants to send out some cards, we're all going to have the same cards. It's going to be the same billboards. But if your church wants to send out cards, there'll be a code for your church. And so when that card comes back, it's going to be channeled right to your code, and those interests will go right to your church. If the card is a general card or generic card that didn't have a code on it, when that person gets online and they put where they're from, it will automatically send them to whatever area that needs to go to. So if they're in a place that's outside of Michigan, um, we're not going to be advertising outside of Michigan for the most part, but people get online, then it's going, there's going to be some avenue that's going to probably mail out or whatever else. Okay, so the idea here is the Landmarks has the DVDs. And I was telling you, I had this church member who, oh, I can't give a Bible study. But what she would do is she'd follow up the interest cards when people were like, oh, I thought I was going to get it in the mail. And here's what she would tell them. Well, I could send it to you. We can, I can make sure they're sent to you in the mail. But if they're sent to you in the mail, you won't get this great DVD that I can drop by for you. And people always wanted the DVD. So they're like, hmm, well, no, I'd like the DVD. Okay, you know, give them DVD number one. And then she would come back. And when she would come back to those houses, she wouldn't just drop off DVD number two. She'd say, so what do you think? And she'd talk to them about it, answer their questions, all the while thinking she couldn't give a Bible study. But she was Bible studying people left and right into the church, and they were getting baptized from this. So if you're like that, you've got the landmark. You can be one of these landmarks groups. Or there's the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, and uh, those are for the personal Bible studies. So that's why you've got the It Is Written lessons. Now, having said that, I don't like the order of the It Is Written lessons. So I changed it. And I told our personal ministries leader I changed it. And he's on board with that. But I want to explain to you why I changed it. And the whole, I want you to understand the mentality behind why we usually follow a certain routine or a certain, a certain order in the studies that we give and some of the things that go into choosing those studies. And so that's a little bit of what we're going to be doing here this afternoon. We might actually get into a study, but first we're going to just kind of do a topic overview, okay, and talk about why our studies are like they are. Now, I'm going to say some things here that somebody might get upset with. You're like, what can I get upset with about order of a study? I just want to talk to you about studies in general. You're going to have to hear me out and understand my context. There's, a been, there, I, there's been a wave of studies in recent years. I'm not, I'm not like totally opposed to this, but just hear me out. There's been a wave of studies that are designed to be, this is the same thing with with prophecy seminars, with traditional evangelism. And I think Pastor, I mean, I was thrilled with Pastor Boonster's message on um, Sabbath morning. Because what he addressed was so, there's so much um, current market research that's telling us that our traditional evangelism doesn't work and all of these other things. And while there are some observations that might be worthwhile, once again, it puts a lot of emphasis on the human agent and little on the Spirit of God and the message and the method the Spirit of God has given us to follow. There's been a, an emphasis on how we need to make sure that our studies are more Christ-centered. I'm not going to argue that at all. But in light of that, there have been new studies developed that are supposed to be more Christ-centered than your traditional doctrinal studies. And doctrine has become a bad name in the church. Understand something about doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching, and Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived. He indoctrinated people. He taught people. He taught people doctrine. So doctrine isn't an evil thing. Doctrine teaches you, everything that teaches you about God is a doctrine. Everything about the character of God is a doctrine. I'm going to tell you that the reason studies are not Christ-centered is not because the study wasn't written in a Christ-centered way. It's because the person who's giving it isn't Christ-centered. Okay? If you're a converted Christian, Christ is going to come out in your study. You've got to understand that a Bible study guide is a tool. And I relate to that well because I used to be 
an electrician and I work with a lot of tools and the one thing that never happened with my tools that I so wished would have happened sometimes is that I would take my bag of tools into a house that I was working in and I'd sit them down on the floor or the counter and I'd say, okay boys, go to work. And my tools would never do that. I had to get up and use them and make them work. My hammer didn't hammer by itself. My drill didn't drill by itself. My screwdriver didn't screw by itself. I had to make all that happen. They were tools designed to be used by a workman. That's what a study guide is. The study guide doesn't do the work. You do the work. You use this as a tool. And if you are in connection with Jesus, your study is going to be connected with Jesus. But if you're not connected with Jesus, I don't care how the study's written, it's not going to be Christ-centered. You can't give a Christ-centered study if you're not Christ-centered. So understand that one of the most important keys to you being successful in sharing your faith is you have regular time with the Lord. Amen. You connect with the Lord and it, that will spill out in what you share. When you prepare a study, and we'll talk more about preparing a study, um, you don't just go and give a study. Before you go and give a Bible study, you want to go through the lesson. You want to get that lesson in your head. You want to come up with ideas. As I go through a Bible study lesson, let me tell you something that happens when I prepare a Bible study lesson to give to somebody. First of all, I used to do Bible work. I told you that. After I, when I was first converted, I had all kinds of ideas of what I was going to do to get involved in ministry. Just wasn't sure which angle to go. Ended up taking some training at Mission College of Evangelism. My mindset was this. The Lord Jesus is coming. I want to be out on the front lines as soon as possible. And that's what I did. And I went to a training program that, that led me into doing Bible work. And a Bible worker is a person, at least in the days when I did Bible work, I wish I knew more about Bible work coordinators, which I told you about the other day. But a Bible worker is a person that, in, in the days when I did it, people would hire to come and do for them what they were supposed to be doing in their church. And then it's going out and getting Bible studies and giving them. And that's what, I, that's what I did. And so one of the things that I would do in preparing for my Bible studies is I would have um, cassette tapes. Anybody remember what cassette tapes were? I had a cassette player in my car, and I would record seminars from different evangelists. I had Doug Batchelor's A New Revelation series on my cassette player, and I would put, oh, I'm going to do a study on death? Let's get Pastor Doug's presentation. And I would listen to that, and I would just get that in my head, and I'd pick up illustrations. Now, that's not the only thing I would do. I would go through the lesson, and when I went through the lesson beforehand, I might have a story that came to my mind that I thought, well, this would be a good example here, and I would write it into my lesson. I would highlight things that I wanted to emphasize, okay? In other words, I would prepare to give that lesson. And inevitably, when you're giving a lesson that somebody else wrote, inevitably you're going to come to one of the question answers, and you're going to look at that thing, and you're going to think, what in the world is he trying to get across here? What is the point of this? This text doesn't even come close to answering that question. I've had that happen with Bachelor, with Finley, and people have done it with me in my studies. They come up with something that works for them. It doesn't work for you. You know what I do with those? I either, maybe I, I, maybe I look at the question and I think, I know a really good text for this one, but it's not this text. So I write in the text I'm going to use. Maybe I don't know of anything to put in there, and I just scratch the whole thing all together. And you know what? That's a lot better to do before your study than when you get into the study and you're sitting there and you say, okay, question number 11, what? Hmm. And you have no clue what, and they read, or you read the text, and you're just like, what do I say about this? And, okay, number 12, you know? So preparation is important when you're, when you're going to give um, a Bible study lesson. But the best prep or the most essential preparation is your personal preparation and being connected with Christ and pleading with Jesus to give you an abundance of his Holy Spirit so that the message comes clearly through you. And I'm going to tell you that I have learned as a pastor, you minister to a lot of people. Personal Bible studies are, are better from a standpoint of it's one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes it's harder with a bigger group. When I preach, man, sometimes I get done with sermons. It's really funny as a pastor. I'll preach a sermon and I'll think it went great and one of the best sounding boards is your wife on a sermon. And I'll say, you know, and we'll talk about it afterwards. Um, and she might say, how do you feel about that, honey? Man, that was good. That one, I it just felt like it came together. She'd like it make no sense, you know. And so, and then the one, I, I've come out of sermons, I'm like, oh, man, that was so, oh, 
horrible. I just want to go home and crawl under the covers. I mean, it was just like, man, I just, I, these people are all going to leave the Adventist church after that message. And my wife will say, man, that was fantastic. Or I'll have a member say, pastor, that was the best thing. Really? And so, again, we put emphasis on the human being oftentimes. But you make your preparation with the Lord. And the Lord has a way of communicating things to people in a way that you never could anyway. Um, that personal preparation is key. That is what's going to make your studies Christ-centered. Now, there are studies out today, like I said, that are you know, supposed to be more relational or whatever, what have you. But here's something that I've found. I'm just hesitating. I don't think I'm going to name them because I, I just don't want, to, I don't want to be perceived as bad-mouthing anybody. But there are some studies out there that I've had people say, oh, I got these great new studies, they're, they, and they look nice, and, they, and they're, they're relational instead of the, the heavy doctrinal. But what I've encountered as a pastor is when people go through those, or a member takes somebody through those, and then they come to me and they want baptized, i got to take them through a set of Bible studies because those lessons were so vague to them. Oh, they talked relationally, but they didn't understand what, what, the dead, what happens to the dead, and they didn't understand. You have to understand that when sometimes as Adventists, we want something that's new to us. But for a person just coming in, and Pastor Cameron brought that up yesterday, and he brought it up in one of his morning messages if you heard it, these people, okay, let's see. So Grandma's not in heaven right now. She's in the grave. Uh, oh, so the wicked don't burn in hell. They, you know, and all the one thing after that. Oh, the Sabbath isn't a Sunday; it's, it's on Saturday. And one thing after another, they're getting this, these things. It's that's a lot of heavy information. They need the basic stuff, and I think that these lessons do a good job. Uh, and that's why we chose the lessons that we did for for uh, sharing these things. Uh, they're just simple, straightforward doctrinal lessons. And some people marginalize them, but that's what new people need. I'm telling you right now. Um, anyway, so we've chosen for you on that one. I'm not going to say, obviously, there's nothing wrong with it. But the, the only thing I would say with that is, in part, in part, I think there's some fallacious reasoning in that. And that is, it's a, it, it pre-assumes that the doctrinal studies aren't gospel. That they need some other, and you got to understand the way the Spirit works with people. I've watched, you have to understand that people, when they come into the truth, the Lord reaches people in different ways. I've had people who join the Seventh day Adventist Church because when they heard about what happens to the people who die, that they rest in the ground, boom, that was it for them. That was the truth that hit them, that convicted them, that drew them to Christ. And I'm thinking, really? That doctrine? For somebody else, it was. Because people are different, and the Lord reaches them in different ways. And sometimes we underestimate the power of Bible truth. You know, we say, how can the state of the dead? Look, the state of the dead is a teaching of Jesus. What happens in hell is a teaching of Jesus. Daniel 2 is a teaching of Jesus. And people have found as much gospel in that as in the salvation story. In fact, sometimes there's a statement by Ellen White. It's in Manuscript Releases, Volume 19. And she says, you know, I, I, I ought to read it to you. I'll, 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 I'll try to quote a little of it. Basically, she basically says that the, su the subjects on which, the, and I'm quoting pretty closely here, maybe missing a few words, but the subjects on which uh, the ministers, let me start it over, the subjects on which the ministers of nearly every other denomination dwell will not move the people. And she says this in the context of Daniel and Revelation. She says, we have to give our God-given message to them. Our message will stir the people. And she says, if we so blanket our message, if we so circumscribe it, then she says, we are answerable to God for our failure to warn the world. And, and we just underestimate the power my brother Jim gave an excellent message at a rally we had this year, October 24. I think it's online. I have to look it up, but it's on the power of prophecy and really brought out some things, some, some good points on how the message of prophecy brings us face to face with Christ in a way nothing else does. It's hard sometimes for us to understand. And so I'm not saying not, don't, not to study other aspects of, you know, how a person you know, in a, in a faith relationship with Christ, exercising faith and other things. I'm not saying not to do that, but I'm saying a lot of times we think and we are told that that's what people need when they're going to get that same thing through this set of Bible studies. Because you're going to weave in, 
You can't help, if that's your Christian life, you can't help but weave that into the study you give. It's going to come up because your study, unless you're just reading and giving some rapid-fire machine gun, question, answer, question, answer, if you discuss at all what you're going over, that's going to come out in your lesson. And that's what I mean. If you're Christ-centered, that's going to come out. And sometimes we just overthink it. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. I'm just, I guess, I, you know, people would ask, well, why are you picking these studies? And I'm using the, you know, you can use what studies you want to use. Okay, the study is a tool, but I'm going to say that my experience working with people, especially people who are new to the truth, is they need something that is basic, that basically and clearly communicates uh, these topics. That's why, that's why you go through most of the studies you go through in the Adventist church are going to follow the same general order. It's going to be the same topics. You'll have about 25, 26 lessons, and they're going to cover, you know, uh, the great controversy and the Sabbath, and, and, and people will say, well, we only have one study on salvation. Well, that's not really true. Because I, in this salvation, when I bring Daniel 2 up, I've, I have salvation in Daniel 2. Uh, I have salvation in, in the signs of the times. You've got to have salvation in um, the great controversy picture. So, you know, it finds its way in in many different ways. There's one dedicated to the subject of um, uh, the cross and, and the personal faith, you know, ex, uh, exchange with Christ. But um, Sabbath and death and all of these things have elements of that in them. So, anyway, did I see a, did you have a question? Yeah, 19 manuscript releases, page 41, if somebody wants to look that up. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about the order of lessons and what I'm changing here. Oh, go ahead. You had a question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I here's what I did with this series of lessons. Um, if you go, if you look at the back of the lesson, you see the lesson number in the bottom corner. And so let's let's just go through lesson number one. Can God be trusted? And it's on Daniel two. Okay. The reason that most studies will start with Daniel two is that when you're giving Bible studies, one of the most important things for you to establish is the Bible as the foundation of truth. If the person you're studying with does not accept that, then you are... Um, what, what, what is Paul? You're, you're, um, I'm thinking Paul says, I'm beating, beating the air, right? You're not going to get anywhere because what's going to happen is if a person accepts the Bible as true, as the Word of God, then when the Bible says something contrary to the way they feel or think, they're going to be willing to accept it, and it will transform them. You know the passage in the Bible in John 7, 17, 17, where it says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You remember hearing that text? What does it mean to sanctify? Okay, lit literally it means to set apart. It may make holy from the standpoint of setting apart. And follow this. Sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. What is the only way the word of God can set a person apart from other people? No, not only. You got to believe it and what? And, tr and trust it and what? Follow it. Now, you might have meant that in saying believing it, but the thing is, if I don't follow it, is it changing me? No. It's not setting me apart. It can't. So the idea when Jesus says to his Father, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth, to set them apart by the truth, people have to follow the truth. And it's when we follow the truth, that's why we come together in this Christian fellowship, because we all decided to follow the truth. And when I said, I'm going to follow this, I'm going to follow this, and I'm going to follow this, it put me on this path, and it put you on this path. And that's why when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. It brings us together. It sets us apart from the world. But if a person doesn't accept the Bible as a foundation of truth, as the word of God, they're not changing. Anytime they come across something and you give them a study on a certain lesson and they say, yeah, that's interesting, but they're not going to allow it to change them. And so what's going to happen is the, you get, you're going to give them more and more lessons and they get all this information that they're not going to follow. And so it's, it's not going to have any impact. I'm not going to say it's not going to have any impact. It may have impact down the road, potentially. But they're not open to truth. 
And so early in the lesson, uh, early in the lesson series, and usually one or, lessons one or two, you want a study that's going to establish the Bible as trustworthy. And that's what lesson number one is. Daniel 2 is one of the best lessons to do that, and I'll tell you why. Um, and we'll go over this more when we, this is one of the lessons we're going to spend a little bit more time with. I had to choose what lessons to cover while uh, we were here. And I'll tell you, one of the, one of the reasons that Seventh-day Adventists aren't as active in sharing their faith is more than just nervousness about their faith. A lot of Seventh-day Adventists are uncertain about their faith. They feel uncomfortable about certain things and wonder, is it really biblical? You know, in one of those subjects, and I'm, di I'm disappointed, we've talked to Elder Bradshaw about this, our conference, with the, when putting these lessons together, but this series does not have a lesson on Christian dress. And yet as a church, as a, as a world church, and as, as divisions and everything, we should be, but we don't across the board, we shouldn't be baptizing people and bringing them in, into the church before they've been instructed in Christian dress. Amen. Ellen White makes a statement very clearly. She says, the, and this is what she calls it, and I'm quoting, the idolatry of dress is a moral disease. Moral means it's not just some custom. It's not just some cultural thing. It's moral. It has to do with our salvation. The idolatry of dress is a moral disease. It must not or should not be carried over into the new life. What's that speaking of? The new life. That's their baptism. Okay? So a person should be instructed in those things. And we talked, it is written about it. The thing is, it's unpopular. It's getting more and more popular in our church. Well, you know, people don't like that and everything. And so um, there's more than just one person who runs different ministries, and they just felt like we're going to leave that out of the lesson. So I, I, it's one of the things that we're going to go over here, that subject, because if you're going to study to lead souls into the truth, they're not going to get baptized until somebody gives them that study. And so we're adding that one. And that's why you have Christian dress listed in here. Now, the Sabbath... We're going to go over on Wednesday, but I'm not going to go over the study on the Sabbath. I'm going to go over the objections to the Sabbath. That's where we get hung up. A lot of Seventh-day Adventists say, well, I know about the Sabbath. I believe it. But what happens when they start telling me, well, what about Colossians that says the law was nailed to the cross? And what about when Romans 14 says that one man regards one day above another, another man regards uh, uh, every day alike? Let each be convinced in his own mind. What do I do with that one? And what do, what do I say when people say, oh, Jesus is my Sabbath? And these kind of things. So... We're not going to be going over the lesson as much as some of those objections so that you can have a little more confidence. Because the more confidence you have in your message, the more easy you're going to share, the more naturally you're going to share your message. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me say this. Some of the people you run into in other churches don't know their stuff as much as they think they know their stuff. I've run into a lot of people who think they know their stuff and the problem is a person can talk very confidently. In fact, I've often found people who talk, some of the people who talk the most confidently know the least. But they've learned how to get through life talking like they know the most. And many of us are just timid. And somebody comes and says, well, don't you know? For example, I was going door to door, and I was talking to a guy about Daniel 2. He didn't believe in the Lord. I said, what if I show you a prophecy in the Bible that foretold the future of the world before it ever happened? Oh, I don't believe you could do it. I could, you know, and we, we were talking and, and, and I said, there's great things in prophecy. In fact, you know, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible tells us that the Lord sits on the circle of the earth. And yet, men argued for ages over the earth being flat. They never argued that. And he began to argue with me over that men ever thought the earth was flat. And it was just, and very confidently, he knew what he was talking about. It's like, incidentally, did you know there's a, call, there's a, a society? To these, you can look it up on Wikipedia, called the Flat Earth Society to this, to this day. Um, but people will talk to you very confidently sometimes about what they think they know. You have to be as confident about what you know. You don't have to be arrogant about it, but you should be confident about it. And there's no reason we can't be confident about it. I'm going to tell you, if you're not confident about what, you, what your faith teaches, get confident about it. I mean, we, I'll tell you, sometimes we read so many things under the sun. We read in chicken soup for everybody's soul, and we ought to be getting grounded in what... We need to know what we believe. And I'm not saying don't read other things. I'm just saying we've got to be confident, and there's no reason we shouldn't be. Our message, 
One of the greatest things about giving Bible studies is the more you study our message with people, the more strong your confidence is going to be in it. One of the things I love about I love being a Seventh-day Adventist Bible worker because I could truly answer anything from the Bible. And it's exciting. The more you learn that, people challenge you, like, I don't know the answer. You go back and you read in the Bible, and you can look at other resources. We've got great resources like the SDA Bible Commentary. There's a lot of other books, Theological Society and other things. that you Wow, there's the answer right there in the Bible. I mean, it steers you to the Bible. You read in Spirit of Prophecy, it steers you to the Bible. I've read wonderful things in the writings of Ellen White, and it has so enhanced my understanding of Scripture. I don't know if you've had this experience where you read something in Desire of Ages. You've read the passage in the Bible, I don't know how many times. You're reading in Desire of Ages, and it's just like she brings up a point. You're like, bam! I can't believe I missed it. It's right there in the Scripture, plain as day, but I read right over it 100,000 times. But it's not some new thing. It, it enhances my confidence in what the Bible says and what our message is. And, um, and so you can take time. If you don't feel as confident, go over. Do the studies yourself. Review a series of evangelistic meetings yourself. Uh, one thing that really concerns me, I'm preaching to the choir here, so I know I can do this and not step on toes as much. But we have a series like Unlock Revelation. I'm going to tell you I had a good portion of church members who didn't come to meeting number one. But these are the same people who say, oh, I can't give a study. Why can't you give a study? Well, I'm just not, I don't know how to answer. Well, if you don't know how to answer, come on out to the series and refresh. I'll tell you, it was a blessing to me going through and preaching again. Every time I go through our message again, it confirms me in it. And part of that is because people, your guests will come up and you talk to them and they'll ask you questions. And you're back to the Bible. And you're like, this is, it is. It's what the Bible teaches. I've had people come to me who who come into the Adventist church because they just started reading the Bible. I've met people over the years, and I can hear there's a teacher in Ohio, in Piccolo, Ohio, just started reading the Bible. Said, what church is like this? Looks around and comes to the Adventist church. Where else is it going to go? Wow, they teach all this stuff. I've known people who've been Sabbath keepers by themselves in some little hole somewhere because they didn't realize that there was a church that kept the Sabbath. They find the Adventists like, wow, there's a whole, there's a whole church that does this. They just thought they had to keep Sabbath by themselves somewhere because they read it in the Bible and said, this is Bible truth. Anyway, there's a lot to be excited about with our message. But I picked a, a handful of, of lessons that I wanted to emphasize, in part to show you how to go through a lesson um, a little more effectively. And, and uh, Because the bottom line is, it's not real hard to go through question and answer lessons. I mean, once we go over some basics with Pastor West tomorrow and we cover some things, you can do question and answer. That's not hard to figure out. And if you feel like, well, I, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, um, you know, I'm not as smooth with it, just practice it. How many of you have heard of the, um, the, the uh, was it the, the violin study where um, Malcolm Gladwell shares it in his book, Outliers, and somebody else quoted him actually, but they studied violin students, actually um, violin, violinists. And the study was trying to find a correlation between where a person was in their, in their skill set in playing the violin and the amount of practice they'd had as a violinist. And what they found in the study was that there were, they classified violinists into three categories. One was the teacher category. These were people who, uh, let me, let me replace. One was a violinist in a, in a, in a um, orchestra, thank you. I was going to say band, not band, choir, not a choir, orchestra, thank you. The violinist in an orchestra, they played well, um, but they weren't skilled enough to be a teacher of violins. I may, get, I may get that mixed up a little bit. Maybe one or the other. But it was the, you had the, the, those who played in the orchestra, you had those who were the teachers of the violin, and then you had those who were the stars, who were the famous concert violinists, okay? And what they found was those who were the, um, who would, who would, I think you would, I think you would be a teacher before you'd play in the orchestra, don't you think? Do I have that mixed up? Because a lot of times, I know when it comes to baseball, you can coach a team, but you don't necessarily play the game as well as the players play. But you can know the theory of the game. Right? I don't know about violinists. Do you think you would have to, what would come first? You know, 
So the teacher would be over the player in that case. Okay, so well, let's just run with that, but you'll get the point. So the players, let's just say, because I don't have the study in front of me, that the players across the board had about 6,000 hours of practice in their lifetime. Okay, across the board, those who were good at playing, but were not in the teacher category, 6,000 hours. Teachers, 8,000 hours of practice. The stars, the famous ones, 10,000 or more hours of practice. And here's what was interesting. Nobody who had practiced 10,000 hours or more was not a star. Everybody who practiced 10,000 hours or more were stars. Okay? And, the, and the conclusion they drew was practice makes perfect, right? That if you would practice things, you get better at things when you practice things. And the point, that the reason I'm telling you that is if you feel like you're not real good at giving Bible studies, practice it. So I said the other day, get a group of people in the church. Get a small group together and you take turns. Get a friend of yours and practice giving the studies. I'm going to tell you the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, there's a saying that, uh, that, that they said that John Wesley uh, was a great preacher. He preached five sermons a day. Well, the, the, the follow-up question is, did John Wesley preach five sermons a day because he was a great preacher? Or was he a great preacher because he preached five sermons a day? Now, I'll tell you the answer is easy for a preacher. The more you preach, the more you learn about what to do and what not to do. And I'll tell you one of the hardest things for preachers to do, but one of the most important things for preachers to do is listen to yourself preach. That is painful. I want to tell you right now. How many of you have preached before? Have you listened to your own messages? How does it feel? <laughs> But I'll tell you what happens is you, you learn as you listen. You're like, oh, why did I do that? And it helps you to become better at it. But you practice something. Listen, you can do that with giving Bible studies. If you don't feel like you're real good at it, practice it. And I'm going to tell you, you'll get better. Um, we just don't, we don't practice enough of this stuff. And so anyway, lesson number one, Daniel 2. Lesson number one, Daniel 2 is a great study on helping people to gain confidence in the Bible because Daniel 2, the outline of Daniel 2 compared to Daniel 7 and all these others is a very simple prophecy. You've got an image with four metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then feet of iron and clay, and then the rock. I mean, it's a very simple picture. And then you can go to a secular ancient world history book and see that world history traces out from the time of that first kingdom, Babylon, four kingdoms. The fourth one did not get conquered by a fifth. It imploded. It was sacked by the Germanic tribes, broken into ten divisions, and try as they may come back together. It has not happened, and it will not happen until Jesus comes again. It's an incredible prophecy, and I'm telling you, I studied that with, I remember in my first church in Michigan, I studied with a young man. He was a businessman who uh, I was studying with. He was raised Christian reform. He was a quiet guy, which I have a harder time studying with quiet guys. I like, I like exuberant people because I know what's happening. You know, when I'm studying, like, oh, yeah, and they're, they're excited. It's like, good, I know that they're tracking. But when they're quiet, you know, I have them read, and we, I, I'm trying to interact, but they're just really reserved kind of thing. Well, this is how this guy was. So I go through the whole Daniel 2 study. I mean, I'm just... I don't know where this guy is with it. We get done, and, and, and I finish up with my appeal, and he, he's looking at the study, and he looks at me, and, and he's saying nothing. Well, what do you think, I said. And then he says, this is awesome. Why haven't I ever heard this? I grew up my whole life in the church, and I never heard this. Why aren't people need to know this? It's the most I'd heard from this guy through the whole study. And I was like, praise the Lord. But we, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, Daniel 2, if you heard something about Daniel 2 at some point, you'd be surprised how many Christians know nothing about Daniel 2. And for a non-Christian, I mean, Daniel 2 tells you, here's a book uh, that was written, a prophecy that was written in 600 years before Christ. And I like what, what Pastor West said, if you show the image, and you draw the line across the image and say, this is where Daniel lived. Because it's easy for us. We read it now. We're thinking it's a history book. No, this is not history. This is prophecy. It was written before it ever happened, and it happened just like it says. 
That is compelling. So people can say, oh, the Bible was written by a bunch of men. Sure it was, but they were inspired by God. How would a bunch of men know the future with such pinpoint accuracy as Daniel 2? And it is gripping. And the Spirit of God, and let me tell you what happens, and this is going back to our gospel understanding. When a person is gripped, you remember, I'm trying to think who brought, who, somebody just brought this up. I think maybe Pastor Cameron did this morning, or was it Pastor Boonstra last night? Pastor Boonstra, that when Peter was out in that fishing boat, and Jesus told him to throw out the net. You remember this in Luke chapter 5? Let down your net for a catch. Oh, Peter was all night. The Bible says he was all night fishing and caught nothing. You have to understand something about fishing. You fish with nets. Fish can see everything. they got eyes on both sides of their head. They can see like this. I mean, there's nothing you can get past the fish. And you've got a net in the water in daylight. The fish is not swimming into that net. Now, Peter knew that. He's a lifelong fisherman. He's all night. The net can't be seen by the fish. Caught nothing. What am I going to do? Go out in the same lake in daylight and catch fish? So right away he was tempted to think, look, Jesus, you're a carpenter. That's good. You're, I'm sure you're a good carpenter. You don't make much of a fisherman. But in the course of the dialogue, Peter said, nevertheless, at your word, we'll go out and do what you say. He was going to humor him. And the Bible says when he let down those nets immediately, they were so full of fish, he pulls the net in and then calls his buddies in the other boat and pull the net into both boats, and they were so, the net was so full, both boats began to sink because of the fish. And the Bible says Peter falls down on his knees and grabs hold of Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, what happened? What happened to the apostle who just moments before was thinking, This guy's crazy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. To now, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When the, and don't miss this. When the word of God was fulfilled, Peter got a glimpse of the divinity of Christ. That same thing happens when people see Daniel 2. That's what, that's what happens. So we just see it as well as just this doctrinal study. No, because a person sees that God, there is a God who knows the future. And he's foretold it in, this, in the Bible, in this book, in this book. Where's my book? I can't be up here without my book. The book. So anyway... In this book. <laughs> and people are, the, 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 the Spirit of God moves on them with conviction and converting power. And that's what happened to Peter. That's what happened to this man that I studied Daniel 2 with. That's what happens with the people you study with. The Word of God just opens up to them. No longer is it just words on a page. Wow, this is a divine book. And when you're there, and when a person sees that, even gets a glimpse of it, they don't have to be wholly committed from study number one, but they're convinced enough to say, wow, there's more to this than I thought. And when you have them there, then you can study the Bible because as the Bible teaches things, they're going to be willing to, to allow their life to be molded by it. And the Bible will transform their life. They'll be sanctified by the truth. So Daniel 2 is great. And like I said, Daniel 2, you can take a secular world history book. You don't have to, you know, another study that's really a, powerful study is studies of the prophecies of the Messiah but the problem with the prophecies of the Messiah is I'll go back and I'll show you what it says in Micah and then we go in Matthew and say here it's fulfilled and I go back and I show you what it says in the Psalms and then we go to the New Testament and I show you where it's fulfilled but that's kind of like circular reasoning to a person who hasn't accepted the Bible it's like oh great the Bible's proving the Bible that doesn't prove any but when you're using you're looking at Daniel 2 you can go outside the Bible, and I'll challenge people, go ahead, go outside the Bible. You look at ancient history, and what are you going to find? You're going to find those four empires. And the other thing is, they're not little kingdoms somewhere. They are world empires. So you don't have to be like, well, how do you know for sure? Look, it was the empire that ruled the world. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you, O king, are a king of kings. We always think king of kings in regard to Jesus. Daniel called Nebuchadnezzar king of kings. What does that mean, king of kings? He's a king over all the other kings. What kind of kingdom would that mean? An ultimate kingdom or a world empire, right? So we know when we're reading there in Daniel chapter 2, we're dealing with world empires. It doesn't have to be hard. We go to the secular world history book. What was the world empire there in Daniel's day? Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, that was it. Let's see, was there another empire that conquered Babylon? It would be a world empire. There's a third kingdom, a kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, the Bible says. The world empires. It's not hard to find in a secular source outside the Bible. 
And so people can see that, and it's like, wow, the Bible foretold the future. And it has a compelling power. So that's why you start with that lesson. I'm not going to spend this much time on every lesson. We'll like never get through, and I know you know that. You're like, wow, this is we're not going to get done with this. Um, lesson number two is on the signs of the times. The signs of the times lesson, some people like it better than others. Um, but the, 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 the power of the signs of the times lesson is, once again, it's prophecy, and it deals with current events, and it helps people, two things. It helps people to see how the Bible has foretold current events. It gives them confidence, again, in the Scripture. It also gives people hope, because when you realize that God knew that we would be in the mess we're in today, I mean, if you look at the mess we're in today, it should be terrifying to us. Except for we know there's a God who's in control. If there wasn't a God in control, man, where do you go? This world's going to fall apart. My, me, my kids, my grandkids, somebody's not going to have a future. Who knows what this, what the, what the, this country is going to become? And this is how people think. And so when you see these end-time events of prophecy, you see the Bible predicted them. You see they're happening just like the Bible said. It gives you confidence that, get, that, that God, in there are passages in the context where the Lord says, for example, when you see these things, know that I'm near, even at the door. Know that, um, uh, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Texts that tell you that when you see these things, hey, God says, I saw them coming. Don't worry, I'm still in charge. I'm still in control. It helps you to have some hope in the midst of the crisis. And so, once again, now tell me there's not gospel hope in that. And there's other things in Daniel I could have gone into as well. Just a whole, well, I won't go into that. I will, we'll, we'll look at that later. But the signs, you know, you've got, uh, you're, you're building up faith in the Bible. The signs study, you know, some of these studies, it wouldn't matter. Sometimes I've done this, like in my evangelist series, I did signs first, and then I did, I went a little different order than the, than the it is written order. But I did the signs study. Well, sort of did his written study this, this time of year. And then I did the Daniel too. I like to do that so on the first night I can tell everybody, now tomorrow night, if you're going to miss, I like to tell people this, if you're going to miss any night of this series, tonight would have been the night to miss. Because tomorrow night, right? Tomorrow night we're going to look at a prophecy that is so incredible. In fact, if you have friends that are atheists, bring them tomorrow night. After tomorrow night's lesson, they're not going to be atheists anymore. I'm going to tell you the prophecy is so powerful. I just want to get people pumped up to come to Daniel 2. But I've mixed them around. Sometimes I'll start with Daniel 2, and then this, this series starts with Daniel 2 and then goes into the signs. Those first studies are to try to give people confidence in the Bible, and um, they're also things that aren't real challenging. Okay, you don't want to start off in studying with somebody on, on topics you know are going to be controversial for them. Because what's going to happen is, instead of gaining their confidence, right away you're losing their confidence. What's happened when I do an evangelistic series, most of the time I do a series, I don't advertise my series as a Seventh-day Adventist series. Oh, I've had church members argue with that, and they say, oh, that's, you're being deceptive, and this kind of thing. Not all my church members, I've just, you know, a lot of times Adventists will argue, will argue about that. They'll say, that's not fair, you should, it's bait and switch, and this kind of, look. Um, I don't deny that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Some people don't know what an Adventist is at all, but I'll tell you there are a lot of people who do and wouldn't come. And I've had people tell me repeatedly, man, if I knew these were Adventist meetings from the get-go, I wouldn't have come here. I just wouldn't have come because they've heard things. And so I don't want to make that prominent. I want the message to be prominent. I know what happens is in tonight's seven or eight, I'm talking about the Sabbath, and guess what they know real soon? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and my church is a Seventh-day Adventist. But here's what happens. In those first lessons, I've dealt with subjects from the Bible that aren't controversial, and they've followed along, they're excited, they've gained understanding, and now when I get to the Sabbath, and now their friends hear about it because they go home and say, wow, this is what I learned tonight, and their pastor or their family members say, you learned what? Man, that's craziness. Those people, those people come up with all that stuff. You know, they get all that stuff from Ellen White. They get all that stuff from here, there, and every, and you get that this is what happens. I had a lady come to a series I did, and she said, um, her husband went and talked to the pastor. And the pastor says, watch out for those guys. They use their own Bible. So she came and told me. She says, he said, you guys use your own Bible. I said, we don't use our own Bible. You've been using the Bible. We hand out Bibles every night. Let me show you my Bible. I said, the closest we come to using our own Bible is that I have a, an Ellen White study Bible. So I brought it to the meeting, and I gave it to her. And I said, here, 
is the closest people say we got it. I said, I want you to check the text of this Bible next to your Bible. You'll find the text is the same. It just has different comments, comments from Ellen White in this Bible. But you go ahead and check the text. She said, it's just the same as my Bible. I said, exactly. I said, we don't use our own Bible. But I said, <clears throat> so anyway, she goes home and tells her husband. Husband tells the pastor. She comes back and says, here's what he said. He said, oh, sure, in the meetings they use a regular Bible. But when they get you in their church, they'll take away your Bible and they'll give you... Now, that was the first time I'd heard that one, but I always hear some new craziness that comes out. But here's what she could say, and don't miss this. Here's what she could say. All I know is, it's like the blind man. Hey, this man, who, who healed you? How did he give you? He can't heal you on the Sabbath. Hey, look, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. That's what the blind... She said, all I know is I've gone to those meetings, and every night it's from the Bible. And so what we want to do is, when we're giving Bible studies or evangelistic series, we want to deal with topics that aren't controversial, that start them into questioning, we want them to see that we agree on things. We we're going with the Bible, and it builds their confidence in the Bible and in you as a Bible teacher. So that when you hit the controversial things, they have confidence now. Look, so far, we've just gone with the Bible. And when people are trying to, when the devil's trying to use other people in their lives to weaken that commitment, and I'm not trying to demonize people. What I mean by this is, Sometimes there are wives or husbands or children or friends or pastors. It's not that they're not well-meaning. And some of these people come around to accepting the truth themselves. But they're trying to help their friend out. And they feel like they're being deceived and they'll throw this out. You want them to have confidence in what's being taught. And so sometimes I've had people want, well, let's just jump right into the Antichrist and the Sabbath. Uh, not a good idea. Because you're putting something out there that is potentially going to break any kind of confidence you could build. Questions? You know, I, I, I was approached about the clear word, and I, I really never looked at it, but, you know, that, that to them, that was like, this is your old Bible, this clear word. Yeah, and I, and I, we, I covered that with this lady. How many of you know what the clear word is? Okay, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was first put out as the clear word Bible. I think it was. Much to the chagrin of Jack Blanco, who, here's what happened. Jack Blanco, who was, I think he was teaching at the seminary at Southern at the time, but he had all these notes that he'd put together in the Bible. And he had family members who said, man, you need to put these notes where people can benefit from them. These are great. So he put it together in this clear word. He, it's, he's paraphrased the Bible with his own notes, and he made it very clear from the outset that this is not a Bible. This is a commentary on the Bible. Well, two things have happened that made that kind of a, a negative. Number one is they called it the Clear Word Bible. Number two, there are Seventh-day Adventists who take that and use it as their Bible, which I would not recommend. I, when, I'll tell you, when I, when I first became a Christian, somebody got me a study Bible, and when I, I became really convicted that I wanted to know what the Bible... In fact, I'll bring a... I'll bring, I've got a I wish I had my original Bible. I really abused that Bible, not on purpose. I just I used it a lot. And then I um, left it on the car once, and then it got driven over on the road, and I duct taped it up, and it, it worked. But I don't have it anymore. kind of wish I did. But I got a little, it was a little paperback New King James, and I have one like it that I will try to remember to bring. But it's just Bible text. It doesn't have center column reference. It doesn't have anything but Bible text. I didn't want anybody else's comments. I wanted just the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have a Bible with comments on it, but I'm just saying, you know, that's what I wanted. Clear word is a, intended to be a commentary on the Bible. And so the newer version of that as printed is called the clear word, not the clear word Bible. And so I had to, I just explained that to this lady. It's not, the church hasn't officially adopted it. In fact, the church has, has um, said so much as I've just said on it that, look, this is not, just so we understand this, this is not a Bible of the Seventh-day Adventist church, etc. People are going to say what they're going to say. But if a person's honest and you give them that explanation, they understand it. And she understood that as well. But I wouldn't use any paraphrase as my main study Bible because a paraphrase is where the, the translators are allowed to insert their own thoughts in it. Well, that can be really helpful in comparison to try to understand. I mean, it can be helpful, but when I'm doing Bible study, I want a translation. Anyway, that's another topic. But that's what I would say about the, the, the clear word. And uh, it is not. The Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't have a Bible. They've, even the Andrews Study Bible, it's not, we, don't, we haven't adopted. It's not the Adventist Bible. And what's really funny 
in the strange sort of way is we get criticized over these things, but the Christian world at large, all they use are study Bibles, all kinds of study Bibles that have far much more heresy in them than anything that we've got as a church. So, you know, like the uh, Schofield Study Bible and all the futurism and prophecy interpretations, what have you. Okay, got to keep on moving here. So, the Great Controversy Study is the Great Controversy Study is something that most Christians have never heard anything like it the way we present it. Not that they haven't heard some elements of the controversy, but the Great Controversy Study, you know why this study is such a good study? Because this is a study that answers better than any, anything else the question, why is there so much suffering? Which is it? Number three. Why is there so much suffering in the world? The great controversy is the only thing that really answers that question well. Because we're in the middle of a battle, and if you're in the middle of a battle, a soldier doesn't expect peace in the middle of a battle. He expects war, but he knows peace is coming. Look, we're in the middle of the great controversy. And God is not the originator of evil. And that's, uh, that, that is so helpful to people when they learn that because many people stay away from God because they say, how can he be, how can he be a loving God if he allows these things? The great controversy sheds light on that like nothing else. And it's a powerful study. And it's one that it's not controversial. It's not like other churches teach contrary to it. They just don't teach it. And so for people to hear the great controversy study, again, it strengthens their confidence in what you're sharing with them. Uh, hope for planet in crisis. Usually, this is the salvation study. The salvation study usually follows the great controversy study. Like great controversy, basically this is how sin entered the world, and this is how the Lord has proposed to take care of it. That's usually how it works. So the lesson on uh, salvation, how to receive salvation, comes in number four. Okay, and I'll tell you when I change the order. All this is a pretty standard order, and the reality is some of those could be changed around, but wouldn't change them a lot. Like I said, the Daniel 2 would be one of the first two studies I would give. Um, great controversy study, all that, the order, I think the order is very good with that. As good as it gets, this is a study on heaven. Now, I don't usually study heaven this early on, but you'll notice that what some lesson series do, a number of them will do, is they'll insert a lesson that is very non-controversial, very hope-filled, to kind, of in, to kind of come into the lesson somewhere before you're hitting a harder topic or something like that. But anyway, uh, I don't have a problem with it being where it is in the lesson. It's not going to throw anything off in the lesson. So you'll see that where I changed order is where I think it just derails the logical flow of a series of studies. No, and I like to do, I really like the study on heaven. Um, I'm trying to think how Mark Finley put it. Um, there's something about, and he didn't put it this way, but there's an old evangelist saying, you've heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The evangelist version is, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can salt his oats. Right? Make him thirsty. And this, this is a kind of study to make somebody thirsty. When they realize... Let me ask, is there anybody here who used to think, who grew up thinking heaven, your picture of heaven was, you know, strumming a, a harp on a cloud. Anybody ever have that picture of heaven? What a drag. I don't know if you've ever thought about eternity. I mean, I remember as a young person, you, I, you just get into this, it's like this time loop in your head, and it's just like, you start to think about forever, and forever, and ever, and ever. And ever and your head starts hurting. I don't know if you've ever done that. And then you think about, and then you insert playing a harp on a cloud. And you're like, forget about it. It's not worth it. And um, when I learn, and when people learn what the Bible says about heaven, what it's really like, it's a real place, and we have real bodies, and we know real people, and our loved ones will see there. We're not just going to be floating spirits and like, I'm sorry, you're this wispy-looking form. Are you some, oh, you're my mom, or you're my, no, we'll know people, and we'll have these glorified bodies, and we'll do real things, the things we always wanted to do here and could never do to near the degree we can do there. I've always 
wanted to go from planet to planet. And when you realize how many different planets there are, you know, then eternity is not that long a time. And so anyway, yeah, this salts the oats, man. When, you, when somebody eye has not seen nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart or the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him, wow. This is a great study for that. So this is the, 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 the heaven study, and some of the studies will do just that. They just they give people a reason to look forward to something better. You know, the Christian life, I mean, there are, there are sacrifices you make to become a Christian, and people know that. They count the cost. They read ahead. But uh, we'll look at this when we talk about decisions a little bit more. But Jesus never just sold people uh, uh, the package that said, look, you're going to have to give up everything, but it's the right thing to do. Right? Well, I know keeping the Sabbath is going to probably, you're going to probably lose your wife, your kids, and your job, but it's the truth. You know, that's not how Jesus presented truth. And one of my favorite examples is the story of the rich young ruler, right? The ruler comes to Jesus, and what do I do to enter your life? Keep the commandments. Uh, which ones? Da, 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 da. Oh, I do that. I've done those for my youth. What lack I yet? And Jesus says, go sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. You missed it, and everybody misses it, because that's not what he said. He said, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So see, he didn't just, look, you're going to give everything away, you're going to lose everything that means anything to you, and follow me. Yeah, I'm excited about that, right? No, he inserts in there, you might lose things here, but you'll get infinitely more following me. And you, you might remember the disciples, Peter comes up and asks him, Lord, we've forsaken all, what do we get, right? If you read the passage in Mark chapter 10. So Jesus wanted people to know that there was something to look forward to, not only in the hereafter, but here and now. So this is a great study for that, the heaven study. Peace on earth, this is about the law of God. And I like it, it's put in the perspective of, look, there was never a lack of peace and harmony before the law of God was broken. Everything in the universe was perfect. But when the law was broken, peace was gone. Well, God's going to restore that. And so the lesson on the law, and the lesson on the law is typically followed by the lesson on the Sabbath. And so it is here, quality time. And again, the Sabbath lesson is put in the framework of a relationship with the Lord. Because that's what the Sabbath is about. You know, the Sabbath is the only commandment that gives us power to keep all the other commandments. You aware of that? Because if you're not connected with the Lord, you can't obey his will. So the Sabbath is that quality time that God... The other thing that really um, amazes me about the Sabbath is when people have Sabbath conflicts, is because they can't find time to keep the Sabbath holy, right? Well, I got to work. I got this. I got so many things. I don't know how I'm going to keep a whole day off. But yet God who runs the entire universe takes the whole day off for you and me. God can clear his calendar, but I'm too busy, God. Right? So the quality time, I like the, the, the uh, emphasis on that. But the, the order, you can kind of see the flow that we're going through here in the lessons, right? Now, now we're starting to get into, I'll tell you, the law lesson, almost every, I'm sorry, Brenda. I just wanted to ask, you said Sabbath is the only commandment that enables us to keep all the other commandments. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, love God with all your heart, mind. The first four deal with the, uh, the Lord. But the Sabbath commandment is the one that introduces us to the Lord as a creator and sets that time aside where we can build a relationship with the Lord. It's out of that relationship with the Lord that our obedience to God grows. And so any hope of obeying the commandments without spending time with the Lord isn't going to happen. And so the Sabbath, anyway, I like the context that they put that in. Now, the next lesson that they go to is the day, the Sabbath, or the, the day that disappeared. Now, this one is on the change of the Sabbath. No, no, no. This is on the Sunday texts. And it's good and it's appropriate here. But what happens in this particular set, a series, is that they put the Antichrist way down at lesson number 18. And that is an awkward place to put the Antichrist study. That's lesson 18. It's the mystery beast. No, no, no. Yeah. 
the mystery beast of Revelation, I put this one right after the Sabbath. Right after the Sabbath. Because here's the thing. So number seven, number seven, then number 18, then number eight. Because what happens is when you present the Sabbath, the Antichrist lesson helps a person to understand how it got changed. The, the day that disappeared really doesn't do a lot to help with the change of the Sabbath. It does a little bit, but this one does more. And, and this also, listen, this also helps put the Antichrist study in a better context from my standpoint. In fact, I, I noticed this when I saw Mark Finley doing it. I thought, you know, if I'm just talking about the Antichrist and saying, oh, by the way, the Antichrist is the, is the Catholic Church, then people are going to be like, why are you all of a sudden coming out and just railing on the Catholics? You know, that's just a tendency. of People to think, what, you know, so out of the blue, you're going to start bad-mouthing the Catholics. But when I'm talking about the Sabbath, they're like, wow, the Sabbath is on Saturday? And then I get in the Antichrist changing times and laws. Well, now, the, hey, okay, now I'm... Now I'm presenting this in a context of prophecy that says the, the, the Sabbath, this is the power that the Bible foretold would change the Sabbath by putting tradition in the place of Scripture. And so it fits better. You'll find that most evangelists put it here. We had a lot of our Unlock Revelation speakers who said, this is awkward with the Antichrist way down here at the end of the study. Well, it was. It fits better here. You'll find it fits better here in a series of Bible studies. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.